2: And it's not easy. And I guess the, the, the trick is to make it look easy and to make it feel comfortable and seamless so that you don't convey any of that kind of inner anxiety to anybody else around you who might be watching.
0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Balancing Acts. In this conversation, I talk to entrepreneur, editor and podcast host, Liz Earle. Perfect. Hello, I'm Steve Whiteley and welcome to Balancing Acts, a series of conversations with an array of creatives. We talk about their journey, the struggles they faced whilst progressing their career, strategies they used to unlock their creativity, how they balance their career with their personal lives, what impact this has had on their mental health and lots more. Liz has done so much over the years and... I guess you could describe her as one of the first original wellness influences before influencer was even a term that was banded around. She began her career in TV on This Morning before leaving to host the first UK television program on beauty, which was called BBC One's Beauty Wise she then had her own series, Liz Earls Lifestyle, that ran for three series on ITV. And then having had a successful career in media, Liz then co-founded the Liz Earl Beauty Company with her friend Kim Buckland, which was eventually sold in 2010 for an undisclosed sum. Liz eventually left the company where she continued to work as a global ambassador and launched Liz Earle Wellbeing, a magazine and podcast. And the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is a leading lifestyle and well-being podcast, which Liz hosts and it's now in its eighth season and has had over 4 million downloads. In 2007, Liz was awarded an MBE for her services to business, and she also received an honorary doctorate of law from both Portsmouth and Staffordshire universities. When it comes to wellness, Liz is an expert in feel-good food and natural, physical and mental health care. So I thought this was the perfect conversation to kick off 2022 on Balancing Acts. You know, it's that time of year where we all want to start making some positive changes and, you know, we've picked out a bit over the festive period and maybe want to lose some weight, get fit, etc. So I think you'll find this conversation with Liz fascinating. So it's a slightly different type of episode to usual, but I think you're going to really enjoy it. And remember, if you like this episode, if you like balancing acts in general, then please do rate and review us on Apple and subscribe if you haven't done already. Tell your friends. I hope the conversations this year have brought you some sense of balance in your life or you've taken some insight from some of the amazing guests we've had on. What I'm going to do in the new year is put together a highlight reel of some of the most memorable conversations so if you want to take a deep dive into the back catalog that should point you in the right direction and now without further ado over to Liz Perfect. I don't know if you I'm sure you've been in the same situation but it's always somewhat nerve-wracking when you're interviewing a fellow podcast host because, you know, there's there's going to be some sort of analysis going on in terms uh-huh. of style and technique, what they are doing, what they aren't doing right. Have you had many of those experiences as a podcast host when you've interviewed other hosts of successful podcasts?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I actually quite like interviewing podcast hosts because they they know the game. You yes, know, and yes. Uh, And, you know, they know that if they stumble or whatever, they just stop give yeah. you a moment to cut it and then pick up again. Yeah.
0: Um that moment.
2: <laughs> and they you know, they're usually kind of well, well seasoned to it. You know, there was one guy, I don't know what he was on, but you know, like every 30 seconds there was a sniff. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know what you've been doing, but we're going to have to cut all of that out. You yeah. know?
0: <laughs> I had one, I did a I did an interview not too long ago where there's a lot of banging In the background and uh, the person I was interviewing was a mom of two and I said oh have you got the little one there and I said no it's my husband. (laughs) It happens, it happens. Uh, But look, I I really appreciate taking the time to talk with me. You have had such a varied and interesting career and um, I wanted to start off by asking you in terms of your entrepreneurial spirit is that something that's always been with you or do you feel that developed over time as part of your well-being journey
2: i think it's a mixture you know nature versus nurture you know what is the most important thing i think i was definitely born inquisitive and with a certain amount of resilience and a, an appetite for a bit of risk okay you know which you, you you need to be comfortable with you know anybody who starts anything on their own no matter what it is whether it's in life you know home life or business you need to be able to accept that things may not go entirely to plan and be relatively comfortable with that so I guess I was kind of born with that and born with drive and ambition which I don't think you can necessarily fabricate I think you you can learn a bit but you have to have that kind of passion in you that spurs you forward because it's always tricky you know I can remember things going really wrong and you know my daughter saying oh my goodness you know when she was seeing me up at like three in the morning trying to fix something and I said yeah but that's that's the name of the game isn't it you know if it was easy everyone would do it and it's not easy and I guess the the trick is to make it look easy and to make it feel comfortable and seamless so that you don't convey any of that kind of inner anxiety to anybody else around you who might be watching
0: yes never let the mask slip
2: I try not to. Although actually I have to say, with social media, you know, the mask does slip and there is a real authenticity. You know, I started doing my Instagram lives during lockdown. Yes. Never meant to do it. I I never really did anything from home. I've always kept myself quite private and work was work and home was home. And there was definitely a line. But then when we were all at home and we were all locked in, and I couldn't go to a studio, you know, I couldn't go on a fancy location. It had to be on my kitchen table. And so I had to let people in and I started it just as sort of a one off and it it went really well and people really liked it and said, oh, well, you know, will you do it tomorrow? So I said, yeah, okay." So we, we did another one the next day and. And then the next day, and then it was sort of, well, you know, you will be back tomorrow lunchtime, won't you? And there was, you know, there was a real connection with people, I think, who were feeling very worried and disconnected. And it was a very nerve wracking time for a lot of people. So I ended up doing an Instagram live from various parts of my house, you know, from my bedroom in my pajamas and all sorts every day for 16 weeks and that made me a bit more comfortable about authenticity, about sitting there with wet hair, yes, okay. with no makeup on. You know, always a nice light, obviously. That's the yeah. key. Um, but, yeah. you know, apart from that, it was quite real. And people would interrupt me and, the, you know, a delivery guy would come or, you know, one of my kids would come in or something would break or it wouldn't work. And, and you know, it, I got used to it not being perfect. And I, I, I kind of quite like that now.
0: Yes. I mean, just that example alone, I feel reflects your first of all reflects your entrepreneurial attitude you know you're in lockdown and then you just decide to turn your hand at something new and then you stick to it and it creates this whole momentum and suddenly you've got a, a, a new avenue uh but yeah i can um I agree with what you're saying. I think people, particularly now, really uh, connect and relate to people that are open and, and vulnerable and honest. And that's obviously the beauty of doing things such as podcasts, where there's less polish yeah. and sheen behind them and um, you really get the insight into a person.
2: I, I love live broadcasts or, or, you know, talking like this, where it's it's kind of one to one. I've been so used to doing TV for so many years where it's all edited and it's filmed and you do 13 takes. You know, I mean, you know the drill because you, you're in that world as well. And you lose that sort of spontaneity and, and freshness. And people can edit you and they can make you appear different in some way by changing what you say or missing out perhaps the thing that you think was really important. When if it's live or if it's something like this, you know, you can pick up on something and say, no, no, no actually, that's not what I meant. What I really mean is this. Yeah. And so, you know, give me live TV or live radio en- any day over some fancy film thing.
0: Oh, yeah, I concur. In my case, it's more of a, a lot of ums and ahs before I, I rephrase the answer. So that's, that's my strategy. I also find um, sometimes I'll, I'm re to episodes when I'm editing them. And then mm-hmm. I'll notice patterns of speech that I repeat. I was like, Oh, you're saying a lot of likes in there. You know, yeah. like seems to be a very uh, you know it's a repetitive pattern. I think for the millennials, you know, it's like really cool. Like um,
2: this, like yeah. Like, my my keywords have been gosh, which is okay. just like gosh, really, yeah. oh, wow. And I you know I, every time now I hear that word coming in my head, like I go no, I no, no, don't go there, don't say that. And also not talking over people and giving people space. You know, to, to say yeah. something and not jumping in and actually pre not being too preconditioned, because in the old days when I started podcasting, I would have a script in a way I'd have a list of questions and I wouldn't feel comfortable enough to deviate from that. And I think yes. you can tell with interviewers when they just move on to the next question, even though somebody's actually said something really interesting mm. that is a bit left of field that you weren't expecting. And you, there's a risk, isn't there, with that? Because you think, oh, they've suddenly mentioned, you know, their, I don't know, dead grandmother or whatever. You know, shall I go there? Yeah. Wh- where is that going to take us? You know, am I bold enough to say, actually, do you know what? Can we talk about that for a minute? Because that sounds really interesting. So, again, that's, that's a, a case of kind of risk taking. So I, I've learned now to not only just sit and ask the questions, but to really listen to what somebody says and be prepared to go completely off piece with it.
0: Yeah, because being able to sincerely listen and be present at the moment is in itself a skill set. You know, it's um, it's something that I've definitely had to learn to get better at. As you were saying before about the jumping in, uh, I'm very ADHD. And so sometimes, you know, I'll hear something and get excited and want to add to it. But over time, I've learned to give the guest, or whether even it's in a podcast or just a general conversation in a social setting, give the other person a bit more space but that's been something that you've had to work out for quite a long time
2: that's really interesting that you you know your adhd because i've learned a lot about that i've done a lot on on mental health recently and i've got family members who affected with with both add and adhd right and you know i recognize the signs and and there's a lot that we could chat about nutritionally that you might find quite interesting that can help Well,
0: funny enough, Liz, I do have a lot of nutritional-led questions that I'm uh, going to ask you a little bit later on, not purely for my own benefit, um, (laughs) not at all. Feel free, private
2: consultation.
0: Yeah, private consultation, (laughs) exactly. I mean, that's the advantage of having a podcast, right? (laughs) Um, I wanted to ask you, if we rewind back to early on in your career, you already started off, you had a very successful career in media. You know, you were a presenter mm-hmm. on This Morning and you had your own TV show. In a sense, you were, I mean, we're in a world now where we've got all these beauty and wellness influences, which you, yeah. you are as well now. But in a sense, you were one of the first wellness influences out there before social media was around. Would you, would you agree with yeah, that?
2: before it was a thing. <laughs> yeah,
0: before this fad even existed, you were one of the innovators.
2: Yeah, I mean, looking back, I, I feel feel very fortunate. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, will hear the name Nizal and I'll think, oh, yeah, that's that's the girl that makes face cream, you know. Yeah. And that's fine. I'm quite happy with that. But yes, there was a life before the beauty company. And I started out 35 years ago writing for magazines, writing about health and wellness at a time when it was all so new. There were these weird people called naturopaths and nutritionists and complementary therapists doing weird things like reflexology and aromatherapy. And there was nobody really covering that. And the magazine that I was working for wanted to know a bit more because I was the new kid in town they said okay Liz you go off and interview these really weird people you know you're, you're kind of into all of this stuff right and so I went off on this really crazy journey and did all sorts of things I was you know a, a vegan teetotal macrobiotic for a couple of years
0: wow and, and this is way before it was in fashion
2: oh I mean way way I had scobies growing in my airing cupboard 30 years ago before anybody even heard the word of you know kombucha so coming back to it now is is great because I've got a lot of you know, experience from from back then, okay. and hopefully a bit of kind of heritage and, and history and, and trust because there's a lot of faddy stuff out there, and I've learned to be a little bit discerning over the years as as to what's real and and what's just a temporary fad.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's such a difficult uh, terrain to navigate through to to figure out what the difference is between something that's authentic and genuinely good for you. And just in diets alone, there's so many different fads. And I think it's so challenging and confusing for people to try and figure out what is the best diet for them. Did you go through a process of, of experimenting and trying all these different types of diets and so forth before you were able to arrive on one that worked for you? As in, were you almost your own guinea pig?
2: Yeah, I, I I guess so. I mean, I I did try lots of things. I had very bad eczema as a teenager, and one of the things that led me actually into looking at diet was meeting a naturopath and various researchers who were looking at essential fatty acids in the diet, and the role of fat generally in in the diet. And you know, you have to remember back in the day, everybody was talking about low fat. You know, fat was the baddie you've got to cut it out of your diet and you know it's it's just going to be really bad for you it's going to make you gain weight and it's causes heart disease and all of that and we now know that so much of that is wrong and actually it's not the fats that are the bad guys it's the sugars and there's been a massive deflection away from that and you know we can talk about kind of vested interest in food and pharma and and, and all of that and for me, my I guess one of my light bulb moments was when I realized that eating more good quality fats and oils, things like olive oil and, and high quality fats, you know, whole milk and you know, nothing low fat now, you know, comes into my house. Realizing that that is very good for skin, it's very good for brain health it's very good for overall well-being and you know for for women especially you know fats are really important because cholesterol is is natural we need it in our body and it's kind of the mothership from which we make all our hormones so uh, as a as a midlife woman if you start to cut out fat in your diet or go low fat you know things can really go wrong and we need good quality fats fats and oils in the diet and it's kind of working our way through that and realizing that you know, yes, plants are good for us and we need to have lots of green veg particularly, but not all plants are good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm very much into things like regenerative farming, eating meat and fish and dairy and, and all of those good things and not mucking about with food too much, nothing that's too processed. I try not to have too much stuff that comes out of a packet, for example, or things that, you know, my grandma wouldn't recognize.
0: What made you revert back to meat eating after going vegan?
2: Uh, well I I guess I I wasn't entirely vegan because of macrobiotics you know I, I was eating things like fish um I think I mean being macrobiotic is is tough it was quite antisocial back then and it was quite hard to get hold of all the things and I still kind of dip in and out of it I mean I love things like seaweeds full of iodine but I think it was knowing a little bit more about the balance of food that's needed and good quality nutrients nutritionally dense foods and steering away from carbs basically beige food you know you need to give that a wide swerve things that are processed things that come out of packets that have been too mucked around with and also I think scientifically looking at nutritional necessities for the body and you talk about you know which diet is right for you and that is absolutely spot on because what's right for me isn't necessarily going to be right for everybody I mean there are some basic common parameters like low sugar for example Um, but I did a, a nutrigenomic test uh, a year or two ago and I started to look into that for my magazine and I have a genetic variance which means that I don't create retinol which is the vitamin A form of of vitamin A, you know, it's the animal produce form. You can only get retinol from meat and fish and eggs and dairy. Now, if you talk to, you know, some vegans, they'll say, well, that's fine because we can make vitamin A from beta carotene. You know, if you eat lots of carrots and lots of plants, that converts naturally into retinol, vitamin A. Well, yeah, in theory it does, but for about a third of the population, it doesn't. And I'm one of that third. When I did my nutritional testing, I have a genetic variance or a SNP, which means that my genes do not convert beta carotene to retinol. So I would personally be a hopeless vegan. My body knew that already, which is why I've never kind of really embraced that fully. And that does affect about a third of the population. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are perhaps thinking that they're getting the vitamin A that they need because they're eating lots of plants, ergo having lots of beta carotene, but actually they're not converting it. And that's really damaging. It's damaging for brain health. It's particularly bad for your eyes, your eyesight, all sorts of things. So I I think we're becoming more individualized in an approach to diet. You know, it's fine to exclude various food groups if you want to, but it's really important to do research and find out whether that is actually right for you personally.
0: Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point because I think there's a case whereby a lot of people who might follow a specific diet, uh, whether it's veganism or something else, they are quite black and white in their approach and thinking, you know, and uh, yeah. it can become quite divisive. Almost, you know, if you're somebody,
2: oh, yeah,
0: you know, if you say, "Oh yeah, no, yeah, I'm, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm vegan ninety percent of the time, but occasionally I eat fish," it's
2: okay. So it's, that's not a vegan then. So
0: it's not a vegan, <laughs> no. But I think I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I so, say, you know, yeah, if you're saying I, so. I, I, I eat ninety. Okay. Maybe it's, maybe it's the, the term that needs to be changed. I eat a plant-based diet 90% of the time, mm. and 10% of the time I occasionally eat fish. Some people will be okay with that, but a lot of sort of hardcore vegans will be absolutely mm-hmm. disgusted by that statement. And I do think it's important, as you say, for people to understand that everyone responds in different ways and needs to go on individual diets. If yeah. I was starting out on that journey now, mm-hmm. what would you suggest as being the best way to try and... Uh, find out and do the research to figure out what the best diet is for me as an individual.
2: Well, I would say start with with the basics. So for everybody, no matter who you are, we need to cut down on carbs and sugars. You know, there's there's no question that in terms of metabolic disorders and insulin resistance and all those things that affect our immune system and longevity, uh, you know, are are the sugars. You know, sugar, basically pure sugar has has no redeeming features so a right. little bit okay but you know be aware that even things like you know potatoes and pasta and rice and all of that you know convert into sugars in in the bloodstream it's not just about adding you know spoonfuls of sugar to your tea or whatever Um, So that's that's fundamental. And there are, you know, the macronutrients that you need. We need quite a lot of protein. We need lots of vitamin D, for example, particularly in the winter months. So, again, that's you know, that's from eggs and milk and all of that kind of thing. Iodine, again, is really important. Choline is a really important thing. I love eggs. If the government ever want an egg czar, then I am that person, because I think eggs, they're such an amazing powerhouse of nutrition. They are Uh, full of you know protein and iron and you know all sorts of good things and you know no chicken is harmed particularly if you can get organic free-range eggs you know I I used to keep chickens on my farm and you know chickens just lay eggs every day that's what they do so you know you can either kind of let them rot in the ground or you can pick them up and eat them Uh, so and I I, know I didn't have any cockerels so my eggs were always you know unfertilized as hen's eggs so, you know, I would think that, that there are ways, I think, um, around that. Interestingly, I have a lot of vegan friends who will eat oysters. Okay. And oysters are an incredible powerhouse. Again, lots of protein, lots of zinc, really right. good for guys, really good for our immune system. And uh, that's, that's a whole kind of another debate as to, because oysters aren't sentient creatures. They don't have, you know, central nervous system or brains or anything like that. So they're almost the kind of, you know, quasi-plant-y type thing um so we've had lots of discussions I, I've got a, a lovely vegan staff writer and uh, and she eats oysters and, and you know I asked her to write a feature on it because it was just a really interesting discussion to have really yeah so I, I think you know there are there are things to be aware of um and I think it's it's kind of trial and error I mean you can do nutritional tests so nutrigenomics is is, is a growing science and Companies like life Code GX will, will do a little DNA swab and they'll tell you what your genes are saying. And I, what I like about that is it's very binary. It's black and white. Right. It's not, well, you might be a little bit this. It's like being a little bit pregnant. You know, it, it doesn't happen. It's a kind of a yes, no answer. Yes. And you either have the genes that will process certain nutrients or you don't. And that will never change in your life. You know, you can do that test when you're five or when you're 105. You, you, you're going to get the same answer. And it's very interesting to look in this country to see how many of us, for example, don't transport vitamin D very well. Mm. And vitamin D is absolutely crucial. It's it's crucial for mental health, for anxiety, for depression, for creating dopamine and serotonin. So I think that's kind of that's one side of it. But the other thing that I feel really strongly about, um, you've kind of got me on my soapbox now, is uh, looking at things like the free from foods. So lactose free, gluten free, you know, these are words that we've just become used to seeing. And if you look in any supermarket aisle, it's just growing and growing and growing. And the food industry have massively embraced it because they're making loads of money yes. selling us, you know, gluten free foods, for example. Well, my take on it, having written a lot about gut health, yeah. is let's figure out why. Why do you suddenly need to be excluding gluten is there something going on in your gut that we can fix through better gut health let's get your microbiome better balanced reduce the areas of inflammation so that you can tolerate all these amazing foods you know rather than subject yourself to a lifelong list of having to only go gluten-free let's get your gut sorted so that you can eat gluten again and i think for me, that's that's been a real challenge. Not just to sort of sit back and go, "Oh, I can never eat gluten." It's like, "Well, yeah, you can. Let's just let's just fix your gut so you're enabled to do that."
0: That's fascinating. I am uh, gluten intolerant, and so much so.
2: Are you? And have you always been gluten intolerant?
0: You no, know, I only. I think I only got sort of diagnosed a few. I don't know. Maybe, maybe actually, no, about seven years ago but it led me on to uh writing and uh performing a comedy rap called uh gluten free and we made a music no
2: i didn't know that you see i should have done my research I, no I should...
0: no it's it's you know it's it's sort of i've kind of buried it a little bit no i haven't re- haven't really buried it but we released it and then we we got brands like genius would be sending me hampers in the post uh genius yeah. the gluten free brand and that kind of thing but that's that's really interesting to hear I've looked into gut health, and uh, I know there's products like Simprove, for instance. Mm-hmm. You no, know, but they're not cheap to to start. They're using not. Regularly.
2: No, and I think actually there's a lot we can do. Um, you can, as a starting point, you can start eating more live foods and fermented foods. So the five Ks really is when you're looking after your gut. It's the five Ks. I don't mean running, you know, five K. Although I mean that's that's an optional extra. But if you look at them, so kefir. Do you drink kefir? Uh,
0: I don't know. I I don't consume that much dairy, but I have thought about it. It's crossed my mind. I, ha- I
2: think I've tried it maybe mm-hmm. once. Well, kefir is, is great. And a lot of people might say, well, I can't have kefir because I'm lactose intolerant. Well, yeah. actually, what happens with kefir is when the good gut bacteria make kefir, because basically you make it by adding a probiotic culture to milk and it turns it into this kind of like supercharged Yogurt drink full of probiotics, and the beneficial gut bacteria actually munch up all the lactose in the milk. So they use that to to kind of fortify themselves and to grow. So by the time you're drinking kefir, cow's milk kefir, the bacteria will have taken 99.9% of the lactose out of it. So it's kind of like a lactose free drink. So a lot of people who are lactose intolerant can actually tolerate kefir. So I I would start with that daily. Then if you look at the other case, you've got things like kimchi, which is the Korean pickle. And one teaspoon of kimchi could have maybe a billion probiotic beneficial bacteria. So you don't need a lot. A little bit of kimchi on your, you know, whatever piece of steak or baked potato or lentil salad or, you know, whatever it is. Um, Kraut. So sauerkraut, pickled cabbage. Uh, You can make that, chop up a cabbage, shove it in some salty water, leave it alone in a jar for three weeks and it turns into sauerkraut. Cheapest chips really easy really good for us uh, what else is there kombucha so do you yeah. drink kombucha made with oh, a scoby I've
0: drunk it. yeah yeah i've tried so it. that's
2: that's that, that that's always another good one um and what's the other okay well the other one, the other one is kamut which is kind of the, the technical name for sourdough sourdough bread okay and that doesn't actually contain any probiotics or beneficial bacteria but it's much easier to digest because the bacteria in the culture, in your little sourdough starter, actually pre-digest a lot of the um, product in the in bread that can make you sensitive to it, can cause bloating. Right. So you don't need to go and buy expensive probiotics. I mean, I think you know, start with a little bit of those 5Ks every day if you can. And then if you want to supplement with probiotics, you know, Simprove, you can get other liquids. I think Simprove, you know, got a good name for itself because it has a lot of clinical trials behind it. So it's kind of scientifically backed. Right. But, you know, I use different brands that have got lots of different strains of beneficial bacteria. You know, we're only just beginning to understand gut health. We're, we're literally scratching the, the 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 top of the iceberg if you can scratch an iceberg. You know, there's there's an awful lot going on below that I think we're going to discover. I love talking about gut health because it links so much with mental health.
0: Well, that was going to be my next question. Uh, Okay. Because as you're saying, there's a lot that's been um, sort of unsurfaced recently in terms of gut health and lots of research surrounding it. And one of the things that come out of it is the correlation uh, between gut health and mental health. My question to you is going to be, have you either, I don't know, advised family members or friends that might have, been sort of negatively impacted by their own sort of mental health issues and advise them to work on their gut health and if so have you seen then subsequent positive impacts as a result of them changing their gut health diet
2: definitely definitely that's so i mean i i I wrote a book a few years ago called the good gut guide and that has a six-week plan in it and as part of that we put various testers on the six-week plan to see if it worked And the results were just really, really phenomenal. And with my own family, I had a couple of teenagers going through exams. And so all the teenage angst and stresses, you know, let alone flipping lockdown. And I would make sure that I really topped up their beneficial bacteria. So I would give them probiotics in the morning, I would make them have their kefir. And I would talk about their friends, you know, because I I view these probiotic good bugs as the friends that live inside us. And you have to look after your friends. You know, you've got to look after your bacterial friends just as you have to look after your real life friends. And that you can do that in, in different ways. First of all, you can increase them so you can add probiotics and things which will give you more friends in your gut, which is good. Secondly, you can feed them. You've got to feed your friends. Once you've established your microbiome and you've got all these lovely good gut bugs growing, you have to look after them. And they love things like resistant starch, insoluble fiber. They love all those tough stringy veggies, you know, string beans and asparagus and artichoke and all that kind of indigestible stuff will really feed your friends. So you have to think about that. And then you have to not do the things that kill off your friends. So there are things that disrupt your microbiome. So there have been studies looking at artificial sweetness, for example, having an impact, you know, disrupting microbiome. So things like aspartame in diet drinks has a negative impact on beneficial bacteria. So really, yes, definitely an answer to your question. I've I've seen big differences. Um, and the reason for that, very simply, is that we make around, they don't know exactly how much, maybe 70, 80, potentially even 90%, of our happy brain chemicals our serotonin and our, d- and our dopamine is made in the gut so there's this huge nerve that connects the gut and the brain the vagus nerve and you get neurotransmitters that whiz up and down that from the gut into the brain creating these happy chemicals that reduce anxiety improve low mood can help with depression and all sorts of spectrum disorders actually you know if you start looking at ADD ADHD OCD all of those things. There's lots of very interesting researchers working specifically in that field, autism and and more. So it's a fascinating area.
0: We touched upon the ADHD. I'm only bringing up again, it's not for selfish reasons. I mean, maybe, <laughs> but a lot of people who listen to the podcast are in the creative industries, you know, creatives themselves mm-hmm. and creators, filmmakers, et cetera. And a lot of people who are that way inclined are ADHD, either diagnosed or ADHD in nature. So I wanted to ask you, because you did mention it earlier, what would be your tips, nutri- nutritional tips to I guess try and manage the um, ADHD type traits and tendencies that come about mm. as a result of that being that way new, neurologically um, balanced.
2: Yeah, well, watch your sugar for a start. A lot of people will be get very much; they'll get their dopamine hit from sugar. So, if you can cut back on that, that's that's a real key thing. Okay, uh, there have been some very interesting new, nutritional studies showing that there is a correlation between high levels of copper and low levels of zinc. So I've had various family members do certain protocols over the years designed to reduce the amount of copper that's going on in the brain. And you can do that by looking at something called methylation, which is really complicated, but it's lots of green leafy veg and sulfurous foods can improve methylation. And vitamin B6 is one of the things that can help with excess copper. And then you need to balance that with more zinc. So I've got, you know, one of my children is on very high levels of zinc, and that's really helping. And you can also do tests. There's something called pyrol disorder, when people who are ADD or ADHD have been ha- found to have high levels of pyrol, And you do that, you can detect that through a urine test, through a, a functional medicine doctor. Okay. And they can test for that. And, you know, if you know that you have high pyrol, then you can take action to go on a nutritional program, to bring it down and, and that all happens without medication. right? And, you know, you, you, you don't need to do that because I know, I mean, I work with a lot of creatives and, you know, they don't want to lose that creative edge. You don't want to lose that creativity, that kind of that spark that fires off ideas in all kinds of different directions. But actually, if you still maintain that, but are able to regain perhaps a little bit of focus, at the same time, and also a little bit of certainty of where you are in the world, feeling a little bit more comfortable. Some people with ADD or ADHD have spatial awareness issues, or they might have hearing issues, super sensitive hearing. Do you have mm-hmm. a very good hearing?
0: Yeah. Uh, when I, you know, when I when sirens are going past, or from on the underground, and you know, you get that screeching sound on the train, I have to cover my ears.
2: Yeah. Okay. So that's very interesting. So you've got an auditory sensitivity. And you can actually do various programs where you can retrain the muscles in your ear to lessen that, to dampen it. Because if you can imagine, if you've got all these sounds coming in at you all the time because your hearing is so hypersensitive, that can leave you feeling really quite agitated. Mm. And that is something that, that can be helped. Things like Also things like visual convergence. You know, people with dyslexia or or find, you know, reading difficult because the muscles in their eyes aren't converging properly. That can also be a sign. And then things like retained reflexes. So when we're born, we have what's called the morrow reflex, which is the startle reflex. And, you know, when when babies are born, they'll, they'll jump, you know, and suddenly startle and they lose that. They tend to generally lose that quite quickly. Well, some people who have spectrum disorders don't ever lose the moral reflex. They're always, it's this fight or flight. You're permanently in this heightened state. And what you do as you grow up is you learn to control it. Mm. You learn, actually, that <gasps> jumping out of your skin, you know, every time somebody walks up behind you or walks into a room or bangs a door or something actually isn't kind of socially acceptable. So you learn to suppress that jump, that startle. But inside, your brain is still processing it. And every time we trigger that fight or flight, we're triggering cortisol in the brain that's heightening anxiety. So you can do various, it's almost like physio exercises. And I I did it with one of my children and we we did a 12 week program. Every night I would do these exercises with him at bedtime for a quarter of an hour. And he lost the morrow reflex and you can do it. I mean, it it takes a bit longer to to lose the, the older you are. I mean, some people actually lose it really quickly. Other people, it can take longer. But once you've lost that, everything just becomes a little bit calmer. Yeah. So there are lots of things that you can do without having to go on to medication. Medication is just kind of quite a blunt instrument, it can just sort of numb things. And I know a lot of creatives will stay away from that because, quite rightly, they don't want to be numb. But you might actually want to be a bit less anxious.
0: Yeah. And, um, the medication leads to anxiety as well. You know, there's so many different after effects from it and uh, it can almost feel like you're, you're two people, you know, you've got two personalities when you're on it and when you're off it, cause it dramatically changes the personality. So I'm all for natural alternatives and, uh, and remedies for sure.
2: Yeah. Um, having said that, I mean, I'm not against medication. I think it no. can really help and, and it can really be a very good transition. Yes. You know, while you find these other things, but you know, if you do have hypersensitive hearing, and you can help to, to block that. I mean, you can buy special earplugs that I know people get migraine or aura migraine, for example, you know, they, they can't cope with loud noises in restaurants or busily, you know, transport or whatever. So they'll they'll wear these earplugs that they can dial up or down depending on who they're with. Right. But ultimately, if you can kind of retrain the muscles in your ears so that they are that little bit less sensitive. And it might not be both ears, it might just be coming in through one ear, you know, without you realizing.
0: Yes. Yeah super interesting talking we were talking before about sort of buzzy trends are you into uh, the likes of biohacking liz
2: yeah i am actually in fact i used to have on my instagram i used to describe myself as a biohacker but i right. i think you know what does it mean biohacking i think what it all it really means it means to me anyway my my take on it is that we start to understand a little bit more about how our bodies work yes. and about our chemistry and what is right for us. And I've been you know, really fortunate with my, my work with wellbeing to talk to so many people at the forefront of nutritional therapies and investigating things like NMN and glutathione and all sorts of weird, wonderful nutrients, looking at sirtuins and telomere length and all those things are designed to help us live well for longer. Mm-hmm. Looking at things like LED, near infrared, red light saunas, cold water swimming. I mean, you can go on forever, can't you? I mean, but but I love it because it's all very positive. It's all about how to hack into your body to, to make it yeah. make it the best it can be.
0: I did. I had my first LED sauna experience recently. And um, I also tried cryotherapy.
2: Love cryotherapy. Did you go and get frozen?
0: Uh, yes, I did for three minutes. I love it yeah isn't it, it,
2: this the best thing what, what what did you think
0: i yeah i felt fantastic after i felt yeah. so light uh, and energized i'll be honest with you it was the morning after the night before i had a bit of a hangover and my girlfriend and i thought right what we what can we do to get over this and so we googled <laughs> we found this place off liverpool street i
2: know yeah
0: yeah and so we doubled up well i did we both did the led sauna and then i did the cryotherapy she just watched on mm. and filmed me and uh Post yeah. Instagram
2: story. But... I love it. You know, the, it, I mean, they use it for top athletes for muscle recovery. You've got, you know, yeah. people like, you know, top tennis players who go and sit in ice baths after matches. And, you know, I get, you've got Wim Hof, you know, the iceman doing extraordinary yeah. things, which I mm-hmm. guess is similar. But in terms of producing endorphins and lifting mood and depression, I remember the first time I tried it and, you know, they make you really, really cold. Is it like minus 160? I think
0: it's, I mean, it is. Like yeah, I think mine was so min- minus 130.
2: 130 yeah Yeah. and you know it is only for a few minutes but you do think you're going to die that is the the kind of that moment when you think I cannot stand this and luckily you know there's always a therapist who's with you and and talks you through it and you know and, and to make sure that you're safe and you can you know step out of the chamber at any point you know you're not locked in But I did this and I felt amazing afterwards. And I remember, I think I did it in the morning and I was sitting in my studios just doing a bit of work in the evening on my own. And I suddenly realized that I hadn't stopped smiling. You know, I was sitting on my own and I was just kind of beaming. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, there were so many happy chemicals in my brain whizzing around, making me feel amazing and i slept so so well and if you look at people in in silicon valley a lot of the kind of high-tech entrepreneurs or or people who have been into biohacking for a long long time you know many of them will have cryotherapy chambers in the corner of their office and they'll do it every day
0: yeah yeah that's that's the end goal for me i know i've made it
2: your own cryotherapy chamber
0: in the corner (laughs) of, of my bedroom yes
2: i'd love that too
0: (laughs) i know yeah i mean from my understanding it's something you need to be doing regularly in order to gain the benefits from it in terms of recovery and um injury prevention
2: yeah maybe maybe i mean i i I don't do it regularly it's something that i kind of dip in and out of i i enjoy cold water swimming which is a a similar thing doesn't take quite as cold yeah but that is that that is is good yeah um and I think interestingly, you were talking about hangovers. And one of the things that's really helped me is when I was doing my nutrigenomic testing, uh, I discovered that I don't process glutathione. I don't convert glutathione. Glutathione is a kind of the master antioxidant. which we're supposed to make in our bodies. Our bodies make it for ourselves naturally from other nutrients. Well, I again have a genetic snip that doesn't allow that to happen. So for me to get glutathione, I need to take it. That's the only way I'm going to get it. I can live without it. I can have vitamin C and other antioxidants, but I function better with it. And when I did the test and and I realized that, I literally, I raced out and I found the nearest health food shop and bought the first glutathione supplement that I came across, took some and woke up the next day feeling like the Duracell bunny with new batteries. I mean, it was extraordinary and talking to nutritionist friends they go oh yeah glutathione we know that you know when we go out for a heavy night we're all popping the glutathione before we go because it's an incredible detoxifier this is not this is not your pink ticket to go and yeah. drink a load and then take a load of glutathione always drink responsibly etc cetera, etc cetera. but should you be going out knowing that you're going to have a few drinks and don't want to wake up with quite such a sore head as long drinking all your water and all of that and pacing yourself, having a bit of glutathione before you go to bed can really help with the next morning.
0: Yes. And by the same token, I don't know if you've heard of MDMA assisted therapy. I tried.
2: Yeah, I don't know very much about it, but these this is the kind of the new tropics.
0: I was actually about to get on, yeah, new tropics. But yeah. I, I was going to say is that um, you know, there was a very strict um regime in terms of five htp before and after to mm-hmm. or you don't have a huge come down and again it's not advice to go out and get off your heads and then no. take five htp but it was very useful for that situation yeah absolutely
2: to- and, and and a lot of these things are are helping to create other chemicals within the body and yeah. neurotransmitters that can help with recovery from all sorts of things
0: for sure, it's it's fascinating sort of delving into it? that world. It really is. So, on the topic of nootropics, is that something that you are delving into?
2: Definitely, yes. definitely. We're writing about that at the magazine at the moment, and I'm I'm fascinated by all the different mushrooms. Okay, you know lion's mane mushroom, the work that they're doing with that with Alzheimer's, for example, and cognitive function as we age. Okay. Looking at things like reishi mushrooms for immunity. There's just so much out there that we don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm just beginning to learn about it myself, but I definitely think it's an area of medicine, nutritional science that we're going to be hearing so much more about for sure.
0: Yeah, it's exciting to be sort of at the early stage of it and see how it's all going to transpire and how it affects us as a human race.
2: Yeah, hopefully in, in a good way. I think there's yeah. so much that, that we, we have yet to discover. And a lot of these things have come from centuries old, millennia in some cases, or old wives tales that we're now able to prove through modern science Mm. and genetic coding and and deconstruct things and analyze them properly and realize that there's an awful lot of science in it. You know, I mean, people in the Caucasus, for example, were were brewing up, you know, soured goat's milk in saddlebags and making kefir and drinking it i mean quite what possessed them to drink it i have no idea but they they did drink it and they felt a lot better for it and they carried on drinking it and we now know that there's the vagus nerve that connects the gut to the brain and that's what's you know producing serotonin and that's why things like kefir work but you know anecdotally these ancient peoples they 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 did these things because they found them beneficial and they embraced them and now we're able to analyze it and see why
0: and then hopefully use it in the battle against AI and the robots.
2: Well, I wonder. I mean, that's way beyond my pay grade that. But yeah, I think we, can. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we both. We'll leave it to Elon <laughs> Musk to figure out. I'm sure he's into new tropics. Oh, he's gotta be, right? Yeah. absolutely for sure put money on it yeah yeah, yeah i agree <laughs> i i mean i've gone completely off topic liz we talked about before about having questions written down i had some and then i've I've got pulled into this area because it's fascinating and it's uh, i could i could listen to you talk for days on this um okay. i wanted to ask you going from being a tv presenter to then setting up your own beauty brand A lot of people would be very content with a successful career in the media industry. What was it that motivated you to then move into setting up your business, which you obviously ultimately then, you know, successfully sold and and sort of stayed on as a consultant? What was it that made you sort of make that decision to go down that road?
2: Uh, Well, to be honest, it wasn't my idea. Okay. It was my, my, my best friend who was fantastic in, in the beauty world at marketing and making products. And, you know, I was doing TV and writing books and, you know, getting a little bit of a name for myself. And it was when hairdressers were beginning to make professional products. Okay. So you have people like Trevor Sorby and Daniel Galvin and Charles Worthington and Vidal yes. Sassoon and John Frieda and all of those people bringing their expertise to hair care into the high street. And she called me up one morning and she said, look, Liz, you know, you you need to be doing this for for skincare because women know you. They trust you. You've got a lot of knowledge. And the big brands back then, this is going back, you know, more than 25 years, were the big old faithfuls, people like Estee Lauder and Elizabeth Arden and Helena Rubinstein. You know, women who were trailblazers of their time, but, you know, long dead and and potentially not relevant to, to modern women. And she said, you know, we can do something together. And my first instinct was, no, that's not for me because I'm a journalist, I'm a writer, I'm a creative, I'm doing other things. And she said, no, 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 we'll do do it together. And you know, it's not gonna take up too much time, famous last words. And we went from literally the two of us into building what became one of Britain's biggest independent beauty brands before we sold it. And so we did it together. You know, I I knew about skin and I was able to communicate and sit on QVC and do all of that because I had all the kind of telly background. And she was amazing with marketing and products and, you know, running the business side. So we did it together. And I often say if I'm talking to young entrepreneurs now starting brands, you know, it's very hard to do on your own. Yes. And make sure that the people you're connected with, your fellow founders, have different skill sets no point in doing the same thing both being good at design or both being good at tech or whatever yeah. and Kim and I had very different areas of expertise and knowledge and we worked incredibly well as a team together and because we were best friends before we started we trusted each other implicitly to do the right thing and it was just a magical bit of alchemy that that worked at the time and this is a, a time when there were no other little niche brands I mean now it's very very much harder because there's just, you know, almost a new skincare brand being created every day. yeah. Whereas 25 years ago, it was a very different place. So we had a bit of space to do that.
0: Yeah, you're almost in the golden age of that period.
2: But it, it um, wasn't, it wasn't a, a, you know, a, a lifelong business plan goal of mine. It was something that happened. And I guess that comes back to your original question of, of being an entrepreneur and, and taking risks and when doors open, actually being prepared to walk through them. Yes. And say, yeah, okay, I'll I'll try that. I'll I'll go there for a bit and see what happens.
0: Yeah, it's like you are one of the early iterations of what what's called now in the entertainment industry the multi hyphenate. You know, a
2: multi hyphenate. I've never been called a multi hyphenate in my entire life. What does that mean? Well, the
0: multi hyphenate is like. So I've said this story before. So sorry to bore the listeners, but and I was at, I was at a film festival a few years ago, uh, Palm Springs Film Festival, and there was an industry talk and had one of the US agents. And they're talking about what they're looking for in terms of talent. We're kind of looking for the next Phoebe Waller-Bridge, you know, someone that can act, someone that can write, you know, a really multi-hyphenate, so someone that does a few different things, you know, and are equally good at them, able to sort of jump into different areas. And uh, you know, you've done so many things: you launch a jewelry line. I know you've got your own charity. Um, You're just spinning a lot of plates. Uh, I know we're we're running out of time. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions. That's all right. How have you managed to do this whilst also being a mother of five children?
2: Uh, Well, um, my children are quite spread out in ages, so they're not all together. You know, if I'd had five kids, you know, all under the age of 10, I think I would have, you know... Probably be under some kind of gravestone by now, but they're 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 spread out. You know, they range in age from thirty down to eleven. Yeah. And by the time the younger ones came along, the big ones were were really great for helping out and uh, and, and lending a hand. So I guess I never really thought about you know doing lots of things. I've just always been very organised. Uh, I guess being quite driven. I'm a compulsive list maker. I can say. Um, and that's kind of how I, I run things. And yeah, it's um there there is no real secret other I the guess than being totally passionate about what you do. Okay. Because there's there's no point in thinking I quite like to do this, because that's just not gonna work. You know, you have to be in a in an area where you cannot not do it. Mm. You cannot not talk about this stuff because it's so important. And I think now for me working in the world of well-being working with things that do literally change lives, you know, working with or women, for example, getting hormone help, working with children who do have spectrum disorders and realizing there are nutritional tricks that can help them. When you have that information, and that knowledge, you know, I just kind of feel duty bound, come what may to, to share it and impart it. And that leads you on to finding out more stuff that you've then got to share and do more. So it, it just sort of grows. And I just feel very fortunate that, I've been able to, to do it, and as my children have grown and perhaps needed me a little bit less, I've been able to put more time back into work.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's a very well phrased answer and makes makes complete sense. What do you do outside when you're not working, which I'm sure is very rarely, what do you do to relax and unwind this?
2: That is a challenge, actually. I think if the, uh, you know, I, I wish I had perhaps a little bit more time for that, uh, I've discovered, you know, box sets like all of us. Yeah. I love watching things that make me laugh. I, I discovered recently, Grace and Frankie, I've okay. been working my way through that. I love that show and just prioritizing my friends. You know, we are social beings and I think we all learned during lockdown, the importance of face to face, real life connectivity, being able to hug someone being able to look somebody directly in the eye and not through a screen, being able to share a meal or have a cup of tea with somebody. So I really prioritise that. That is kind of my downtime. Who am I going to see? Who Who do I want to hang out with? Who do I want to share some laughs with? And... I wish I had more time for things like reading. I I tend, my my reading is very factual. I read academic journals and, you know, that's, you know, I I don't have time for for fiction and things like that, which is a shame. I'd like to, you know, perhaps one day I'll get through the pile of books that are ever increasing on my bedside table and actually have time to read them. But I think trying to lighten up, that's that's kind of my hobby, if you like. And and I love walking. I live in the countryside mostly and, and I do try and get out in the fresh air and walk and appreciate the day switch off a bit I enjoy my gym I have some weights at home that I lift and I find that really therapeutic and it's you know it's good physically it's good mentally it's it's just good for everything
0: yeah get that endorphin release much needed so you talked about reading Uh, are there any books that stand out or jump out to you as having had a major impact on you or inspired you in some shape or form um
2: Not hugely, if I'm really honest. I remember years and years ago reading The Road Less Travelled, and that was kind of one of the first psychology books, if you like, that um, that, that I dipped into. And I read quite a lot for work now, so I I, I do read a lot about mental health. And um, I was reading a book by Julia Samuels recently about grief, which is really interesting, and Mm. she works a lot with bereaved people but also you can experience grief in all forms you can grieve for lost opportunity or lost health um, lost relationships you know through divorce or whatever so you know that's that was uh, really quite interesting to acknowledge that kind of thing
0: yeah fascinating final question I'm going to ask you Liz is what does the idea of balance mean to you or not
2: oh I love that you know that is one of my expressions live life in balance and it is just about that. It's not being too fixated on any one thing. You know, I will say, you know, yeah, don't eat sugar, but hey, you know, if you really want that jam donut, go for it. You know, it's just not a daily thing. It's, it's balanced. And yeah, go to the gym. That's fantastic. But you don't have to do an hour every day. And eat well, eat sensibly, drink in moderation, you know, just be balanced in all things and, and try and be balanced in your opinions as well. You know, try and not get too fixated and be slightly open-minded, be prepared to accept another point of view, be prepared to be corrected. You know, I'm, I'm always prepared to listen if somebody says, actually, Liz, you're wrong, and this is why. I think, we you know, we need to have that balance as a state of mind as well as in physically how we live.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. Liz, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. It's been very eye-opening and interesting and inspiring. Where is best to, for people to keep up with what you're up to and work-wise? That-
2: I'm I'm a compulsive Instagrammer. Okay. That is that is my um, my chosen uh, chalice, if you like. So I'm Liz L. Me on Instagram, which is my personal one, okay. which is where I put a lot of stuff. Okay. And then Liz L wellbeing is the instagram for my magazine and we're on all the usual suspects you know facebook twitter all of that yeah. um and youtube recently started youtubing which is which is fun and then liz our well is my mothership that's my website and there's loads of free downloads I've done loads of stuff on gut health and mental health and all sorts of you know if you want to know about glutathione for example you know you can head right over there
0: great well i know how i'm spending the rest of my evening uh, <laughs> liz thanks so much
2: Thank you for having me Steve. It's been a real pleasure.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.